This year, Kind Snacks is inviting you to leave behind the diet and wellness fads that are no longer serving you. Instead, grab a Kind Bar, a nutritious and delicious way to eat more of the real, whole, recommended foods that we're not eating enough of, like nuts and whole grains. Because all Kind Nut Bars lead with the first ingredient, nutrient-dense whole nuts, and they're gluten-free. With great flavors everyone will love, including caramel, almond, and sea salt, and peanut butter dark chocolate. So shut out the noise, trust your taste buds, and shop Kind Bars at Amazon today. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi. Welcome to Finders Grievers, a happy-ish podcast about sad things. I'm your host, Shohana Sharman Cecilia. This week, I'm sitting down with writer, comedian, and certified tallboy, Guled Abdi. Guled is a quarter of the multi-award winning sketch troupe Tall Boys to Men. He has performed at OFF-JFL, Montreal Sketchfest, and the Toronto Fringe Festival. You can catch Guled on Tall Boys on CBC Gem or at random bars you didn't know had a comedy show. So, shall we jump into it? Hi, how's it going? Doing all right, you know. I mean, you know, as all right as I can be, you know. Like, sitting at home a lot is, man, thoughts, they go a mile a minute. And just trying to find times where I can uh, not think is uh, my favorite part of the day. Yeah. It really, I, I've been watching so much trash TV and I know it's not just me, like everyone's watching trash TV, but like I'm watching like real trash TV, like I'm watching a lot of Kitchen Nightmares. Oh, I, love, I used to love that show. It's really good. It's very like, I think anything that's super predictable is working really well, well for my brain right now because everything is unpredictable and I'm like, give me something that like has a solid formula that I don't have to think about. I know mm-hmm. where it ends. I know where it's going to, like, just, yeah, like wallpaper for the brain. It's- Absolutely. I, I feel like that is um, underrated. Like, I can't remember. Oh, it was The Mandalorian. That's what it was. Every time I watched The Mandalorian, I was like, I love this show because I know Mandalorian is always going to come out on top. Every episode does not matter what happens. Uh, so I know, like, all the, any conflict or any moment where, like, will he? It's like, he will. <laughs> <laughs> He will. Like, listen, I'd be surprised if they did something uh, crazy, but he will. He'll get through this. (laughs) That's great. Um, That's the one with Baby Yoda, right? That's right, yeah. And then we find out his name is Grogu. That's a pretty good name. It makes me think of Groot from, like, Guardians of the Galaxy. And you know what? Uh, There was a a lot of uh, memes of, like, which one do you kill? (laughs) Groot (laughs) or Baby Yoda? (laughs) One of them has to go. And, uh, yeah, people. I, th- I think, I think it was mixed. Yeah, it wasn't always like what I thought it would be. I, I mean, one's a tree. I don't know if that makes it easier. Actually, I don't know where I was going with that. You could kill a tree. Um, yeah, you could. Never mind. <laughs> um, cool. So, I guess starting with the start. Um, 
who did you lose? Uh, I lost my mom. Uh, my mom passed away back in '09 oh. uh, after battling cancer for like 11 years. So it was like a very, a very long time. I didn't, I didn't know then that uh, 11 years is considered like amazing for someone to have cancer for that long. Because for the most part, like she was fine. Like mm-hmm. she took, she had surgeries, um, and eventually, uh, and outside chemotherapy. And then the only thing she was on was like, like different medications that were a form of chemotherapy um that sometimes i think she went in to get like radiation treatment but most of the time it was these pills and then i for a long time i forgot she had cancer like i knew it was something it was but it just felt like it was in the background of our lives not really something we thought about on a daily basis because she was like outside of taking the pills but she was still like you know an active person still loved reading all the time was up early than the rest of us just doing stuff so like i think yeah, maybe my idea of what it means to be someone with cancer was uh, was like, you got to be bedridden and not yeah. doing much. But she was like doing more than I was. How old were you at the time? I was 21. Wow, that's young. Yeah, and then I think about my sister because I have like, um, like uh, my family is quite large. My dad married three times mm-hmm. and um, I'm the middle family. I call ourselves the, the 2.0s. There's the 1.0 that are older and the 3.0s that are younger. And each version gets a little better. Um, so I have, in the 2.0s, I have like one full sister. And she is four years younger than me. So she was 17 when this happened. And it's still something that like, I've talked to her maybe a little bit about, but like, I didn't know what it's like. Because I was 21, I, I felt young. But then I was like, oh, she was really young, you know? Yeah. When it happened. Isn't it strange how hard it is to talk to a sibling about it? Yeah. I I have an older brother who is four years older than me, and we've never talked about it. Like, it's been four years since my mom passed away, and we never talk about it. Mm. He actually, my brother lives in the same building as me. He's upstairs with his wife. So he asked me to go see him this morning, and I went, and he he had some of my mom's stuff that I guess my dad had given to him, and he was like, oh, we need to, like, figure out what's in this bag and you know see what we can keep see what to do it and the whole time it was like we were sitting on a couch facing this coffee table full of stuff and just like putting it into piles and not saying a single thing about what we were feeling inside it's such a I don't know I can talk about the stuff with everyone in the world but for some reason I can't talk about it with my family yeah that's um I think yeah I, I spent many years not even mentioning that my mom died like it was something i don't know if you've gone through this where like you tell someone a parent died and they feel bad and i don't want them to feel bad because it's like (laughs) it's not something they did yeah you know so i'd always like try to like just not like they were like oh and like uh your parents live uh, here i'm like yes (laughs) yes they do and uh, who do you live with my mom (laughs) 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 um because i was always like i'm like i don't know like Still, I haven't found the, luckily, like, I mean, Rona, I don't have to really talk to anyone about this. In real life, it wouldn't happen much uh, before Rona, but it, when it would happen, I was still conflicted of when to tell people uh, that mom passed away. Because I still, for me, it's still like, uh, I realize it's a sore point. So if I bring it up, I know my eyes start welling up and it's not anything I'm intentionally trying to do. It's just that memory still hurts, you know? 
so i'm always like i'm like yeah she's yeah, she's still alive yeah it's much easier <laughs> to do that than be like i don't want to cry in front of these strangers or uh, <laughs> <laughs> um can you tell me a little bit about your mom yeah originally born in somalia why did i say originally like <laughs> she was born in somalia uh, this, uh then then the comic book they really changed the story up uh quite a lot but uh she, yeah she's born in somalia like she seemed like a really cool person from the stories i've heard like she uh was the first person in her family to like you know the class story first person in her family to go to university she went to at that time uh italians had a presence in somalia so she went to an italian high school and learned italian there uh, and then she went to university in Italy, uh, did a pharmacy degree at first, and then was teaching at some point at university in, in Somalia. And then I think went back to go do uh, a degree in nutrition. And then that's what she, as all my memories of her, is her working as a nutritionist. Yeah. And so like when the world uh, world war, when the war broke out in Somalia, it's a world war of our own. Um mm. <laughs> it, it was a war that rocked our world that's what, that's what i meant to say mm-hmm. uh we left in like we came to toronto in like 92 uh and when the civil war thing broke out in 91 and uh we moved to toronto and like she pretty much raised us by herself because my mom and dad got divorced around that time and so yeah so she like was like really like uh like she loved reading was extremely studious always like i i believe that if she had lived longer she would have just continue going to school because even when she was like even years before she passed she was taking some program i can't remember either george brown or seneca or something like she just loved studying and loved learning about stuff uh and i think in her heart wished we had the same love for studying and learning about things as she did she uh could not cook somali food for the life of her she did not know how to make any of that but all she knew how to make was italian food so that's what i grew up eating was a lot of Italian food. Um, and I remember I used to get mad at my younger sister because whenever we go to a Somali restaurant, she's like, oh, this is what we eat at home. Like, I wish we ate this at home. <laughs> Mom does not know how to make this. Are you, are you crazy? We have pastas, you know? Mom tried to make a rice dish. It was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'd say like very strong-willed person, like championed us. Like when we moved here, like I think she was just one of those parents who was aware of like, being uh, a black person in white spaces and how people will either assume you don't know things or will treat you like you don't know things. Uh, And so I know that like she was that type of parent to write letters to schools uh, in our behalf because like something had happened that she did not agree with. And I remember even, I think I have it somewhere, a letter that she wrote to my kindergarten teacher when we were in Toronto about the teacher saying I was bothering students by tapping them on the shoulder a lot to get their attention and mom wrote back she's like he doesn't speak english how do you expect him to communicate with people uh and just really like tearing into this teacher and this is like in the 90s early (laughs) early 90s you know so i'm just like that's the type person she was she was like she did that for us she did that for other somali families when she saw like the school system was trying to play them because like you know you're black you don't know what's going on here this is the best way to do stuff so yeah just like a, a strong person I wish I was as just unafraid as she was. Maybe she was afraid. She just never showed it, you know. Yeah. I love a strong woman who loves to give a lot of feedback. <laughs> yeah, she that was her. <laughs> Even when I didn't want it, like she would always <laughs> let me know how she felt about things. <laughs> yeah, that's the part that like I think I if there's any regret I have is not getting to know my mom as a person. 
Hmm. Because uh, I think about, um, yeah, like, well, who is she as a person? Like, what does she like to do? What did, uh, what was her favorite color? I don't even know. She she loved music. That's one thing I do know. She loved, like, uh, I remember Sam Cooke. We had Sam Cooke in the house. Uh, and she was a big fan of, like, Somali, like, uh, there's a lot of Somali poetry. And, and, um, and a lot of, like, really great Somali singers. So a lot of times she might be playing that in the household. But truly that like i i i know the things she likes i don't know if watching news is a hobby but i know she liked watching the news <laughs> like she was always like reading every paper just on top of everything like yeah like she was the type of person who got the toronto star and would go through it front to back we we traveled a lot as a family like because we lived in kenya for about like eight and a half years mm. my mom would always uh <laughs> knew how much I hated waking up early. So would try to make it up to us at times by like maybe buying us a candy or, or, <laughs> or doing something nice for us during the day. Cause she's like, I know you don't want to be up at six in the morning to go check out this ruin. So here's, here's something nice. That's so sweet. So wait, you came to, you left Somalia in 92, came to Toronto and then moved back to Kenya. Yeah. So we moved from Somalia uh yeah, like left Somalia's refugees. I think we might have stopped over in Kenya and then came to Toronto, um, got our citizenship. And then my mom found a job with the UN in Kenya. And so we moved there and she was working as a nutritionist in Kenya, but mostly in Somalia. So she would travel there. And so for the first uh, couple of years, we were in a boarding school, a British boarding school there because she just wasn't around to uh see us and i know that this is something that she uh felt terrible about because uh, she told me <laughs> she felt terrible about that i in hindsight i get it like it was what, what a drastic change moving to another country and then immediately to a boarding school two two different trips of traveling to one foreign place and then another completely foreign place within that area she uh was not just a person who loved traveling like i just want to go see different parts of the world but like was so interested in the history of places. Mm -hmm. So like she, yeah, like when we went to Egypt, it was like, she was so interested in like learning about the the history of like these different, like, you know, going to the pyramids, going to these different like ruins and, and really like just like was actually paying attention to what the guides were saying. <laughs> As for me, I'm just like, it's hot out here. Uh, I'm tired. I'm just looking like, this is kind of tall. It's crazy how they get it that tall. Like I'm just... <laughs> You know, that's that's those are the thoughts. Very simple uh, uh, thoughts happening, but mostly related to how uncomfortable I am right now uh, in this place. I remember one time she went to I think the south of Spain has like some beautiful architecture somewhere. I think in the south of Spain, and so she uh, a couple of years before she passed away, she was like, uh, "I'm going to go to South Spain. Do you want to come with me?" And I was just like, "I was like, no, man. I just haven't had like a." Like just this is the first time when I get to have a full summer in Toronto. I just want to experience what a summer in Toronto is like. <laughs> uh, I was an idiot. Um, like I, I, who knew that I would experience decades of summers in Toronto? Uh, but I, like, I just this is I got I got to experience this one because we had moved back like only maybe a few years prior, and I'd always yeah. wanted to come back to Toronto. So for me, it was like I just I just want to know what it's like to be. I felt like I missed out like growing up, spending all my four years in Kenya. A part of me felt disconnected because I was like, I'm missing out on some shit in Toronto right now. I'm missing out on what are the kids my age in Toronto doing? Uh, or we didn't have satellite. We had like basic cable. So I wasn't catching The Simpsons and all these other shows that people were watching at that time. And I was like, 
I don't know what these references are. I'm like, just, I'm lost, you know? I don't know what people are talking about. I watch Cartoon Network, and if they're not watching Cartoon Network, I'm lost, you know? <laughs> um, so I remember just being like, yeah, I want to experience summer here. And then she went to she went to Spain and, like, took a bunch of photos and, like, brought back some books of, <laughs> of like, of explaining the history of some of these, like, buildings and stuff. And I was just like, yeah, she loved, she loved like, just learning about, like, different parts of the world and, like, appreciating their history. I don't know if this is me going back now in time and rewriting history to make me feel better about this current, like uh, how life has panned out. Uh, I was rebelling at age 20, rebelling for the first time ever. I disagreed with my mom, but I had never actually rebelled, you know, be like, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. This is me just like uh, doing my own thing. And so I would stay out late uh, many nights in a row. And I did not like staying up late. I hated it, but just to, cause she always wanted me to be home at a certain time. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. I felt at times it was just a, this control thing. Like she just, I think she had a very, I, I don't know. Cause I, I wish I could have talked to her about this, which was, I just never quite understood why our relationship was as, as like contentious as it was at times. Like I didn't know why she was, why she ruled with the iron fist at times. Like why, yeah, she was just worried. So I would stay out till two in the morning and we were beefing. Uh, I would say that's my mom and, and Gulet, our beefing period is East Coast, West Coast. Nobody died, but uh, I did get locked out of the house several times. Like, so that's that's where I feel, that's where our relationship was just about to turn because just before she went into the hospital, I felt like we were having a little bit of an understanding. Like maybe, maybe she was starting to see where I was coming from uh, for the first time. And then she got. She went to the hospital. I was still in her eyes, like I always will be her. Always was her child in her eyes, but like she treated me like a child. Like I was like a just could not fend for myself type of uh, energy, um, which she was right. Like <laughs> I struggle even to this day being assertive. You know, it's it's something I'm working on. <laughs> but she was very much like, yeah, just the type of person who did not respect private space. <laughs> uh would would just come into my room and be like i'm like what what why why are you just barging in what's going on you know and yeah. was always big on like especially towards the end of her life like she became a lot more religious so she was praying a lot more and wanted the same for us but i did not care about it neither did my sister as well so we were getting woken up in the morning to like do the fudge prayer like the early morning prayer before the sun rises and that's like some bullshit uh <laughs> Especially if I got to be up in the next couple hours to go to school, I'm like, you just ruined my sleep. I'm not, I'm not sleeping again, you know. Yeah. So I'm, I'm up at five in the morning for no reason. Like, I'm just, I'm, I, I felt like I was like, you're, you're worried about my soul, but I'm worried about getting enough sleep, you know. Yeah. Um, we, I felt like I was going through my teenage years at twenty. So I was like, man, I think we were so close to maybe actually having a conversation about just ourselves, of who we are as people. And I remember at that time, one of my cousins was staying over a lot because we lived in the middle of the York University campus. Mm. But I went to the University of Toronto downtown campus because I did not want to have to come home for lunch. Because uh, I knew if I was right on the York campus, my mom would be like, why aren't you coming home for lunch? That's the type of person she was, you know. And uh, and if I that told her, like, I don't. reason for going to St. George, though? Yeah, that was my reason. I was like, I was like, I don't want to. <laughs> I, w- I don't want to come home for lunch. I do not want to come home for lunch. <laughs> uh, so if I'm 45 minutes away, it's obviously no reasonable person would say, come home for lunch, you know? Yeah. Uh, it would take too long. Uh, that was truly my main reason. I was like, I did not 
is I didn't care about the program one way or another in either of the schools. In fact, if I cared about my own well-being, why not be at a place, a, a, a rock throw from where I was? I could walk to class every day and it'd be so much more relaxed. But I was like, no, no, I just want to be as far away from the house as possible, but not move out, you know, as far as you can get from the house without actually moving out. Um, and so, so my cousin was staying over because he went to York and he had an early morning class uh, one day a week that he was like, I just can't make the trip from Mississauga every day. Like it's just too long. And so at that time he was getting to know my mom. And so they were having a lot of conversations. And I remember he would tell me like, man, your mom is like super interesting, man. She's got like so many stories and stuff. And we were beefing at that time. And I was like, I was like, man, you got to pick a side, you know, you can't, <laughs> you, you can't be both talking to me and my mom at the same time. Like this is, you know, I would just like, I, I, looking back and I was like, oh, it's so silly. But like in that moment, I remember I was like, I was mad at her. Cause like we were not, we were struggling to understand each other. She was being, I thought too controlling and unreasonable at times. And maybe I was also being unreasonable, but like, like I felt like, yeah, we were, I feel like times we're just talking past each other, you know, like, cause she was like, I, I worry about your safety. And I'm like, but I'm a, I'm a grown person. Like I, I appreciate that. But like, like you can't always protect me, you know, like maybe it was her, like struggling to let me go in some ways, you know, mm-hmm. um, that like she can't coddle me, you know, like she can't protect me from the world because that's what she'd done up to that point, um, you know, writing letters on my behalf to schools and stuff and truly fighting all my battles. Like I don't think I'd ever even had a argument with like a self of company about a bill because my mom was the one doing most of that stuff. You know, that's literally the type of person she was. She's was like, no, no, I got this. Don't worry about it. And she was good at it. Like she, I will tear credit. Like she, she knew exactly the things to say. So yeah, so that's like, uh, I think that's where we were just before she passed away. I was like, man, I think we're we're just about to finally have a conversation as two adults. Uh, you know, but it just didn't happen. I always thought she got diagnosed in 2000. I don't know why. For some reason, my mind said 2000. But I was talking to my cousin recently. She was like, no, it actually happened in 98. That's when your mom got diagnosed with cancer. So that means uh, I would have been at that point uh, 11 um, when she got cancer and my sister would have been seven. I don't remember her even. I don't know when I found out she had cancer. I wouldn't be surprised my mom didn't quite explain it to us because like I'm 11. I probably don't can't grasp it. My sister definitely wouldn't be able to grasp it. Yeah. Like my memory is very fuzzy of like how I found out. I just knew for a long time my mom had cancer. I just don't know the exact details. Yeah. She never told us you know like i that's also one of the things i wish i had got a chance to find out like what was what was it like for her and because for me i was like i i didn't at many times i just lived like she didn't have cancer i didn't think about it you know and it's not even something she talked about much that i remember um so for me i just felt like i was living with a uh, a mom who was you know just not letting her teenage son do shit you know that's (laughs) that's that was that was my my existence she she did a really good job of she, I don't I don't know if she ever burdened us like I don't know if burden is the right word but like she didn't tell us much about what she was experiencing. Mm. I remember only a few conversations the mom had with us about the fact that one day she might die. I only remember very few conversations about that where and it I do remember being scared cuz like it felt like at that moment she was telling us like like, I'm like, wait, do you know something we don't? Are you dying 
tomorrow. Like, that's what it felt like when that conversation, I think we've had it like a couple times. Mm. But truly outside of that, I don't remember um, sharing a lot of details with us about this is what I'm experiencing. I really, that's, that's one of the reasons I wish I could talk to her now being like, what was going on through your mind? Because I don't, like, I wish I could understand maybe where some of, uh, at times maybe some of her anger was coming from. Was it related to that? Was some of her need for control related to the fact that she felt like she had no control over what was happening in her own body, you know? Questions I can only ask myself <laughs> and maybe work out through therapy, but not things that I can get from her directly. Um, because she really honestly just lived up and about and just doing stuff, you know? I think I remember... Uh, there's one event that I remember clearer than anything else. And that's the day she had to go to the hospital that I sensed in my heart would be, this is the end. Like I felt it. I'd, I, I'd come home from being out somewhere and she was talking to me. We lived at that time in a townhouse. And so I climbed up this like flight of stairs and her bedroom was right next to the staircase. Um, and uh, she was talking to me about something. And while she was talking, in the middle of the conversation out of nowhere, she just lost her balance, like just talking and then just fell sideways and hit her head against the door frame. And I remember just being like, Oh shit, what just happened? Like I, like I know this is not normal. People don't just fall like that. Mm-hmm. I remember like just being panicked and not knowing what to do. And she was like, it's going to be okay. It's all right. Just call your, she asked me to call one of our Somali neighbors to, uh, to come over and then call the paramedics as well. Um, and I remember just the whole time she was like, just, I felt like she was being strong for the both of us. She was telling me it's going to be okay. Even though in my heart, I was like, oh, this is, I don't think it's going to be okay. I don't. Uh, she, when she was in the hospital, it looked like at one point she might be okay. Like she might beat this. And then it just turned and she went into a coma. And so her last week or so uh, or so she was in a coma so with the doctors when it was going to happen they're like i don't know it can happen any moment you maybe have a day we don't really know i mean it's hard to tell time but and so i remember uh like whispering into ear telling her that i i loved her and that you know it was hard saying goodbye like that because uh i wish i could have uh and actually talked to her you know but i was like i'm like i hope you can hear me i don't know and uh and those are yeah those are the last moments with her until they're like oh it's happening now and i think she just coughed up a little bit of blood and that was it and then it was like okay all this is i remember being uh mad at the time uh because of like i felt like she lived such a life you know a life that i didn't even get a chance to find out and talk to her about and she had done so much and i remember being angry that like oh it just ends like this this is it like like she had done so much and worked so hard and i remember being like almost mad at life mad at god you know being like are you serious this is this is how it goes like there's no there's no other like you know i don't even get to say goodbye to her like you just it just ends like this and i'm just being like very very mad about uh about that after everyone passed away like you know, uh, family members already praying for her, you know, they're doing like reading the different Torahs and stuff. Um, and then uh, I'd love to see family members also, uh, you know, embracing me and, and they helped with like, you know, the 
the three days of mourning that like i don't know if it's in islam or somali but like they call we call it the tasi which is like the people come to your house for three days afterwards and so i had my aunts were uh with me and they were the ones organizing all of that mm-hmm. so they really um provided a shield for my sister and i so we didn't really have to deal with people like we just come downstairs to say hi to people who came to pay their respects and then that was all that was expected us they entertained them they you know gave them food or whatever and they also were uh functioned as bouncers to stop people from coming to the house at late because people were like it was kind of wild even when i was in the hospital to see how entitled people were to like wanting to show up whenever they wanted to show up and feeling disrespected that my aunts who were a lot of times younger than them um were telling them you can't and they'd be like do you know who i am like essentially they're trying to like flex like the family connection of do you know who i am as opposed to like they have any actual power you know like i run the hospital you know it's like i am i'm your i'm your dad's you know first cousin you know it's like like this type of like it's very weird i think even to think about it to flex your relationship within the same family it's like i'm your first cousin it's like okay what does that mean i don't understand is that a power role like what is <laughs> where do you yeah. rank these things you know <laughs> there's a family power ranking of some sort that i'm not aware yeah. of till this day i'm appreciative that they were there to take care of all these things clean up the house uh make food for us or buy food for us so we weren't um alone in the house mm-hmm. which was nice in one sense of like we had people around but also uh something i'm only realizing now uh during this pandemic and finding out through therapy was it was also sucked because i didn't really have space to just mourn like to be sad because like there were people there were company there was company you know <laughs> like i'm seeing some of these cousins i hung out with them a handful of times but this is the first time we spent this extended amount of period uh, together it's been a while since we last saw each other so you know i felt like i was uh in some ways like entertaining guests you know my cousins moved in and they didn't feel comfortable sleeping in my mom's bed <laughs> one of my cousins took my room and then another cousin slept on a mattress on, on the floor of my mom's room and i slept in my mom's bed uh and i remember like just at nighttime like crying because it's the only time like i really had space where like no one was i didn't have to entertain anybody because everyone's sleeping but then also not being too loud because my cousin's literally sleeping next to the bed on the floor so being like i gotta cry but make it like quiet cry i don't know if you ever heard i don't know if he was because you know sometimes people you don't fall asleep immediately or you might wake up at some point and be like your eyes closed but like you're still awake so uh, I've never talked to him. Like, did you hear me crying at night? Like, if you did, uh, if you say anything, I'm have my lawyers find you, and uh, <laughs> I don't know what they're gonna do. But they're gonna make your life miserable. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like I was, I was, I was very sad. Like, also very, uh, like numb in many ways because she, like my dad and mom, had been divorced for almost my entire life. So there was no other parent I could lean on and that parent is not even in the country Mm. you know uh he's all the way in switzerland at this point so i remember just feeling like and it's a feeling that i still have till today which is like um i've made peace with which is like oh i'm alone you know 
like I have I have my sister, she's here. I got like my 1.0s and 3.0s. A lot of people who love me, cousins. My dad is one of 10, uh, so I have a lot of first cousins. So I got a lot of people who care about me and would make sure like if anything was wrong, would drop whatever they were doing to help. But none of that felt like all that felt like it could never fill that hole that was my mom, you know, and how how she was like she was the center of my life for even when I was beefing with her, like like the, she was the person I was beefing with, you know, it was no one else, nobody else, it was her. So all these things were like just like hitting me. I'm like, oh man, like this is that's it. Like I have to learn how to do these things on my own. But I do remember generally feeling sad, but couldn't be too sad because there was at least three other people in the house. I wish <laughs> I had someone to watch over me because the transition was like, this is the person who's doing all this stuff and then nobody, and now it's me, you know? Um, but luckily, like, we were, we had our dad was still supporting us. I had to learn how to do all these things for the first time on my own. Like, I had to <laughs> grocery shop by myself for the first time ever. Like, I felt I moved very quickly from being taken care of to then being the one taking care of others. And... Yeah, like just a lot of like just transition of like being, oh, now I got to be the head of the household all of a sudden. Uh, when I hear grief, I think like like you were talking about like, like crying, like to actually like let myself be sad to the point that I'm crying, you know, or remember the pain that I'm crying. And I did very little of that, you know, like because <laughs> I didn't have my own space to do that i don't remember crying all that much um or having a lot of room to cry i think truly this pandemic is the first time that i'm probably like grieving like in a way that i never got to when it actually happened because things just moved like everything just moved you know i just had to yeah i just had to <laughs> i had to start i just had to start doing things you know I remember it, it starting like kind of early in the pandemic where I was just like, I'm feeling like a sadness, like a heaviness that I just assumed was just the pandemic, like, you know, grieving the life that we once had and that maybe won't be that same way going forward. But then I was, I was talking about in therapy of how it was very hard to um, like find, like, I just felt like I had to do stuff the entire day. Like I got to do something. I got to, uh, either I'm reading something or watching something or playing something and and then cycling through different size screens as fast as I can. You know, like if there couldn't be a moment of silence where like if someone stopped playing on the TV, pull up my phone. If it stopped playing on my phone, pull up the TV again. And um, as my therapist pointed, I was like, oh, it sounds like, sounds like grief, you know? It sounds like the thing that you're, you're going through is is grief. And it's like a the general feeling is trying to make peace with some of the ways my mom raised us you know uh it's been a lot of like dealing with those feelings of like oh man i wish i wish our relationship had been different mm -hmm. and then also uh trying to find my way through that so that feeling of like oh it can get very strong where i feel like i'm alone in this world that protection that my mom provided i will never have that find that within myself how can i give that to myself you know how can i make myself feel like it's going to be okay which is very hard like self-soothing you know in some way like rubbing my own back being like it's going to be okay you know mm -hmm. that's been the big thing of like 
trying to make peace with the ways my mom raised us and and the sadness of like never i'll never know her story because now i'll only ever hear it through other people i hope one day i don't feel so alone uh just me and my my thoughts and uh you know it's a so far the thoughts are winning you know they're up in the series but um my plan is to turn around we got a new coach in and uh i think we can i think we can push we can push it with i think we can maybe go to game seven we'll see yeah (laughs) i don't know what sport you're talking about (laughs) i'm gonna say baseball game seven no i don't know i i used to think that grieving was like you have to do it within a certain time and the more i learned about and talk about in therapy it's like it's a process that you will make progress on it at times when you least expect to maybe make progress on it like it it moves in people at different paces um at different pace and so like just being okay with however you're grieving and to not feel like you have to like rush through it like it's just it's going to happen and maybe you can find time and space to do it great but if not because also you know we live in a world where you got to pay bills and keep moving you can't just be like i want to take three months off for grieving and uh you guys figure out that just uh yeah take your time and be hopefully be a little kinder to yourself yeah that's beautiful i mean i i will say i literally got to take six weeks off for grieving oh, that's and it still so didn't great help. <laughs> it was nice but it did not help I've been thinking about this whole grieving on a schedule myth a lot lately and it's truly bonkers to me that we let ourselves believe that we can move through grief in a calendar year like it's a 12-step program. Even the way we talk about the five stages of grief model that many of us are familiar with suggests a linear progression, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance, as if These are stops on the map you're supposed to move through to get to happy town. But that's not how it works. Grief is not linear, and there's no right way or right time. The only right thing to do is to be kind to yourself. That's all this week. Please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts to listen, and please rate and leave us a review. It really helps. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at FindersGrievers and write to us at FindersGrievers at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. I'll see you in two weeks. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.